Welcome to Grandiose Grammar. I'm Aoife, a grammar enthusiast and a lecturer at Phillips Universität Marburg. This week, I've got part two of an interview with my friend Anja, who's a teacher in Bavaria. This week, we're talking about her experience of school in East Germany, and then we moved on to how societal changes impact our classrooms. In particular, we discussed how COVID-19 has impacted our teaching. Anya brought up the topic of teacher bashing and the widespread misconception that educators are unwilling to embrace modern technology, when in fact the real problem is a lack of investment in educational infrastructure. I have a question about your education. Was education in East Germany very different to the kinds of things you do in classrooms today? Um. I'm sure I'm sure it was different. First of all, it was in the 80s and 90s, so it was a different time. And secondly, it was a slightly different educational system. First of all, it was a socialist state. What was different that um, you didn't have just like a syllabus, a curriculum, but every lesson was fixed. So the teacher couldn't decide how to teach a certain topic and which materials to use and where the focus is, but every lesson was pretty much written mm-hmm. and the teacher was just presenting it. Um, so it was there was a lot more control in anything. Um, what I remember there was a lot of there was this this reward system that each year I got um, yeah badges and you don't have that nowadays and you were rewarded in in front of the whole school and it was this this big big thing so maybe it was pressure but maybe it was also motivation so so that was um quite different of course the topics were different yeah i remember that the the stories we read in our german lessons they always had this political message of the underprivileged, how, how bad capitalism is. And so everything had a message and it was not about your own opinion, but you were given the opinion. So that was quite... Indoctrination. Quite yeah, totally. Apart from that, I think it was pretty, pretty similar. Mm-hmm. I mean, some things are not done anymore, like learning poems by heart is not as popular anymore, or writing dictations, that's old-fashioned nowadays. But... Do you think there's a place for it? Of course there is, yeah. I mean, we are allowed to do it occasionally, but it's not, it shouldn't be part of tests. I think some students just totally underperform in a situation like this. And it's not a skill that is that important. I think other skills are more important. The focus now is rather on, on listening, speaking, writing but writing their own texts and not as i said earlier um fluency above accuracy mm-hmm. so a, a slight spelling mistake is is not so bad nowadays when i was at school our teachers would still count the mistakes even in an a-level test and today it's more about can you understand it are there any misunderstandings and that's that's more important than whether it's 18 or 22 mistakes in a text. What do you think the disadvantages to that type of teaching method are? 
Or do you think there are any? Of course there are disadvantages that pupils work in a more superficial way. They, they, they get by. Their English might be atrocious. They might be... Or they make mistakes. Well, it's like, come on, this is year one. And, and, and they still pass their A-levels. So they still for, forget third person S on a regular basis. They confuse this and these and still pass their A-levels. So I think the focus has just changed. I find that really problematic as a person who deals with that at university because that's an A1 level ever on the CEFR. Yeah, but according to our... I mean, we have um, guidelines on how to mark tests mm -hmm. and they can have several severe mistakes and loads of minimal mistakes and they still pass. I think that's massively problematic, especially when you get to A-levels and or university because accuracy I think does matter yeah. I fully agree that in the early stages of learning a language the focus should totally be on getting your message across and it doesn't matter if it's not correct or if it's not 100% correct but I think there's a point at which there, it flips and you have to say the message alone is not good enough anymore you now need to be able to spell you need to be able to do the things that are basics and I'm sorry, but if you continue to make A1, A2, B1, B2 level errors, you're not going to get a degree in English. They still make certain mistakes when, when they start teaching. Well, you, you can't avoid uh, you can't avoid it at all, or totally. But I, I, see, I see your point. And that's why I say that that's, that's the danger, that students become more superficial. It's the same with the knowledge. They, they rely on other sources they don't need to learn things anymore not so much no that makes them more superficial that sits quite nicely with uh, particularly the trend that we've seen during this covid semester or covid school year um the tendency towards open book exams what's your take on that what do you mean with open book exams so I set a task for my students or my pupils. Um, they can use any resource they want and they have, say, 24 hours to complete a task where previously you might have given them a lesson. Like they've had, say for me at university, that have had 90 minutes to complete the task and now I'm giving them a day or maybe even a week to complete something and they can use all the resources that are available to them. How do you feel about that? Um, well, you can't stop them from... When, when they're at class, you, you can mm -hmm. check on them and you can say what is allowed and what is not allowed, whether they can use a dictionary or an online dictionary or the internet. But when they're at home, you can't, you can't make sure. It's made me reevaluate how I, how I word a task or how I develop a task. So previously, I would have had a translation class where it was, here's a newspaper article, go away and translate it. And now it's, Here's a sample translation. This is right or wrong because, and then give me the grammatical reason. Because you can't just look up the grammatical reason. You actually have to have understood it. So you can still Google the translation. You might know that it's right. Mm -hmm. But unless you can explain it to me, you're getting no points. Yeah. And that's been quite difficult to come up with tasks that are meaningful, that really test the skill set. 
and can't be cheated on. That's so true. And I think we're going to need a lot more of that in future in general. Because as I said to you last night, I don't think we're going back to what we had before. I don't think we're going back to this sort of lesson where we're present and we do all of the things in person. I think, well, maybe this will be true for for middle school because they're, they're at an age where they still need supervision. But I think for older school students and for students at university, a chunk of their work is going to be self-study and then the lessons are going to be used for actual practical application. I totally agree. I mean, you know, flipped classroom that has existed before the homeschooling or the mix of like school and at home. And yeah, I think that's, that's a way forward to, to use their yeah, independence and, and, or make them more independent. Do you think that would ch- change your work life positively or negatively? Um, I actually enjoyed online teaching. So preparing material and in, in the classroom, you always see the instant reaction. You, you realize, okay, they didn't quite get it and you can intervene quickly. When they're at home, you can't. So you have to anticipate all the possible misunderstandings and you have to write the explanations pretty foolproof. So I yeah, quite enjoy that to put myself in a student's position and just go through it and say, would I enjoy doing this? Would, would I understand it? What could go wrong? What could their problems be? I wouldn't mind having a certain percentage of my teaching time online in the future. We conducted a survey at work. Students would be happy to have up to 30% of language lessons as self-study or at-home work, and then the other 70% in person. That's very similar to what, what I... Um, got as a result from, from a questionnaire and in my A-levels course, there was a small percentage, maybe like 10, 20% in the course who said, I would like homeschooling only. The majority didn't, didn't like it. They, they need a teacher, they need a presence, they need a pressure, they need a reminder. So I would say 70% preferred the classic school lessons and 30% said they they would like a mix. But the other question is investment. Because we as educators can say, yes, we're willing and we'd like to do all of these different or use all of these different types of online tools. And then the question is, politically, is the money going to be provided? Are we going to have the resources to do this properly? That really, really made me quite angry this like teacher bashing and, and, and schools were criticized for um, yeah, having missed so much in the past, the development of this online learning and use of media in general. And I said, well, we did a lot, but our resources are so limited. The amount of computers, we've got just, we've got 30 tablets, but we've got 600 students. So we can't have so many tablet classes, maybe one. And that's just a question of money. And we're totally left left alone. Teachers buy their own equipment. Yep. Sometimes we're given old old devices from like the Ministry of Environment, stuff they don't need anymore that is pretty much useless and then it's good enough for for schools. 
or teachers work in their free time, that's what we did, to earn money, which we then donate to our council, who can then buy computers for our school. And yeah, it's, it's never enough, it's never up to date. And what is even worse, if you have a, a company with, let's say, 300 devices, you would have at least one person full-time, maybe two people, just IT people who just do the maintenance. And we don't have that. We've got one teacher who gets maybe two lessons time to look after all these devices. And that, that's a problem. So of course, half the time things don't work. Do you think that after this year, there'll be a bigger investment in technology for schools? There is this digital pack that has existed before and there is money, but schools have to develop concepts. Then all schools have to hand in the concepts before any money is handed out. And what, what is a concept? Why can't we just buy devices for everyone and just use them? What concepts do we need? And it's just so complicated. And, and, and even if we need so much more money and, and the internet is not part of this digital pack, it's the council who provides the internet and if that doesn't get any faster then I can just show a little video online. I have to download it at home. That's a lot of time for me to download every single video just in case the internet doesn't work. One of the things that I've really enjoyed about online teaching has been that I don't receive any paper and I don't have to write on paper. I've, I've, and it's something that I think I'll stick with. To some extent, writing is important. And I know a lot of my colleagues, even the ones who um, try to digitalize our school more and they realize that it's important for children or young people, for learners in general, to, to write down things. I don't think it will be replaced completely, but I have to admit, I also enjoyed that I use less material, but it's all digital and I'm a minimalistic person and I just see my study becoming less and less crammed with folders and books. So everything is going to be online. I'm looking forward to um, the e-course version of my book that you have the whole book online and not just the e-book that you can look at it that mm -hmm. exists already, but like an e-course where the students can actually complete the tasks and listen to all um, the, the audio files and have less material. Yeah, one day they're just gonna go to school with the tablet and that's it. Oh, that's a good one. What are you currently learning? Oh, quite a lot actually. This year has been quite a challenge. Um, we, I've, I've never done online learning. Mm -hmm. I can't recall any, any occasion where I did learning via telephone or video by video conference or email or whatever source we use. And we had to find ways. We had several different channels and we still use four main channels, which are quite different. And you realize that teachers prefer different channels and you had to yeah, acquire the skills. Mm -hmm. Like I, I was recording audio files before, but 
not not very often and now I do that on a regular basis and I bought equipment and I got more into the editing so it's, it's like learning by doing mm -hmm. and and you realize that every time you do it, it it's much quicker because you've got more experience so um, I learned quite a lot and yeah and teaching in video conferences that was the the first time this year and there are quite a few things you can can learn and with experience every lesson gets gets better which programs do you use for your online teaching um we've got a Bavarian platform Mebis mm -hmm. which had existed before and was used widely but not by all schools mm -hmm. but it's mostly for sharing materials so it's it's like an online course where you upload material it's it's well structured it's mostly chronological and then the students um, go through the material you can upload exercises quizzes links videos and they just go through they can hand in um, their tasks but we found out the communication is, is difficult mm -hmm. so we used teams relatively early on which was not approved of by a state and later it was so it was again the initiative of, of teachers individual teachers and yeah, I quite enjoy it. You can still share material, whether it's in a video conference that you can share files or you can upload, they can, students can do tasks, but the focus is on the communication. So it's more the video chat or written chat that makes it easier for the students. They don't send you emails if they have a question, but if it's a chat or if, if you see them face to face, they rather ask a question and I hadn't seen them for I think six weeks and then we finally started with teams that was my fifth grade so year one English and it was really really moving actually to to see them and, and they had so many questions and they, they wouldn't bother me before mm -hmm. With, with all these thoughts and how are things going on and I think that was very very important to take all the fear of at the beginning it was just like a yeah that's going to be for like some weeks and then when we realized this is going to be our life now they had yeah lots of concerns worries and it was very good to talk to them and normally they don't have the, the video function on so I don't see them, which is quite weird that you, yeah, talk into the camera. But I always try to, to look into the camera to at least give them a feeling of normality and not, not look at the keyboard or my screen, but look, look into the camera so that they feel appreciated and, and to make sure they, they think I'm, I'm there for them, which, which I am. And yeah, that was, was quite moving. To, to talk to them in person for such a long time. What's your greatest hope as an educator? I, I would say it's clear that 
teachers and schools will never be redundant, that especially in the last month we've noticed how important it is that uh, children are not able to just teach themselves. Maybe adults can, if they have enough experience of, of learning or if, if, the will, if, if they're willing to, but, but children need help and support. And yeah, I hope that school develops positively so that we can actually support young learners as, as much as we can. What would be a practical way to do that? Yeah, investing in, in the infrastructure of schools, technology, but also staff. We're totally understaffed. What would be your perfect ratio? I wouldn't want to teach just five kids because then it's difficult for group work and so on. I would say 12, between 12 and 20. That's, that's a good size. And what's your current average class size? Um, we're very lucky at our school. My fifth grade is only 20, 20 kids only, so it's really, really nice. My A-levels class, 24, so that's a lot for A-levels, especially when you think of all the marking to do. So, but yeah, it's, it's quite a good size. Could be a bit less, there's always like, can always be better. What I would also like is um, more, not teach teacher staff, but more secretaries, um, like in, in France, you have staff to to look after kids in the break, so the teachers can actually have a break. So you, I, I would like to see more social workers at school. I would like to see more psychologists at school, so more extra staff. Thanks again to Anya for allowing me to interview her for Grandiose Grammar. There are going to be more of these interviews over the coming months, so if there's someone you'd like me to interview, or questions you'd like me to ask, let me know. As always, if you have a question you'd like me to answer, feel free to contact me via the contact form on grandiosegrammar.com or over on Twitter. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.